Amen. Amen. So enjoy the baskets. Uh, <laughs> if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are reading a passage this morning of Scripture, of the Bible, that point in Paul's letter where we generally just kind of skip. We kind of go, eh, don't like this bit. But part of the joy of just preaching through books of the Bible, which I love doing, is we don't skip. So we're just going to dive in and ask the question, why don't I like this part? And maybe it's less about the text and more about us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 17. So I tell you this, and, on, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not, do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, most of us, when we read this passage it's not, oh, this is my favorite part. We've looked at the first few chapters of Ephesians, and that can be more our favorite part of all the things that God has done for us, of all the things that he's lavished on us, of all that he's brought us into the family of God. And it's all these wonderful things of our new identity. But we come to this bit, and we have this initial kind of push back from what Paul is saying. We don't like the do's and don'ts of Paul's letters. We kind of want to maybe just skip it all together. It's why many people say to me, oh, I love this Jesus guy, but really struggle with Paul. <laughs> really struggle with Paul. It's, it's all about doing and don'ting with Paul. But Jesus is about love. And I, we can hear, you know, but yeah, this sounds so legalistic. 
Like all these do's and don'ts, behavioral things. You know, Jesus came not that we have to perform. And we have pictures in our brains, our minds, our imaginations of like an angry preacher telling you to stop, stop it. Whatever you're doing, whatever fun you're having, stop it. Don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke. You know, the old Footloose movie, come back again and order us. It's so legalistic and God saved us by grace, not by performance. And he's, he's our performance. And so why is Paul worrying all the time about do's and don'ts? Or we say, man, it's just so depressing. It feels like such a downer. It's Paul just wants to stop all the fun. And for many, it's like confusing. Because we've heard this gospel, we've heard the Christian message presented to us that the way it's presented to us makes no sense of these types of passages. Because the way it's been presented to us is Jesus came because we had sinned, we'd actually fallen away from God, and Jesus came and forgave us so that we can go to heaven, that we're now forgiven. Past, present, and future, forgiven. All the sins I've ever done, forgiven, I'm cleansed. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So therefore, I mean, no matter how I live, I'm, I'm kind of just forgiven. It's like, I don't see the point. You know, it's just, I don't see why Paul goes on about it so much. We are beloved children of God, cleansed of everything. Why is Paul so obsessive about behavior? And then, of course, this cultural moment has this particular objection, which we too can adopt, which is, man, this sounds so oppressive, you know, we live in an age, this cultural moment of the authoritative self where we have thrown off any moral objectivity and any moral source as oppression that actually true freedom and true joy is found through self-expressing our own inner compass, our own inner thoughts about what is right and wrong. And so we read this and naturally just go, ooh, dude, you know, if that's how you want to live, good for you. But don't... Put your morality upon me. I do what feels right for me. I live my truth. I live what I feel is going to cause flourishing in my own life. I'm not going to follow your way. Stop imposing your ethic upon me. And so when we read these passages, what do we do? Well, option one is we just simply ignore them. You know, I'm not too sure your daily devotional and your devotional nugget for the day often comes from these passages, right? We skip them. We just kind of don't, don't know what to do with them. And we are just going to read Jesus, but then, of course, we read Jesus and get to the Sermon on the Mount, and we just skip that as well. <laughs> Option two is we say, well, we try and kind of get out of it by going, you know what, I don't think this passage applies to us anymore. That was Paul talking the first century, and we try and use kind of really bad uh, biblical hermeneutic and exegesis, technical word of how we read the Bible. We go, ah, I'm sure that doesn't work for us. Have you ever done that when you read the Bible? Don't like that verse. I'm sure it's not meant to apply to me. <laughs> Neither of those is, of course, although I believe that some bits of the Bible need to, be re- need to actually be read in context of the Old Testament versus the New, that's not what's going on here. So third option, which I want to encourage us to do this morning, is to actually delve into the question of why don't we like this? This does apply to us. 
This is all over the letters of Paul and the teachings of Jesus. Behavior matters, and yet, what is it in me? Why don't I want this in my life? How does this live into? How does this support Jesus' desire to give us life and life to the full? There seems to be a disconnect. So maybe I'm not understanding it rightly. And of course, that's why Paul doesn't begin his letter in chapter four. (laughs) Chapter four and the Christian lifestyle, the Christian ethic and morality of Jesus doesn't begin his letter, but actually takes place after the first three chapters. And it's when you understand fully the first three chapters, you begin to see the beauty in what Paul is writing. If you haven't been around, in Ephesians this letter Paul is writing, he summarizes in the first three chapters the great story of what God is doing in the world. And until you understand that story, this seems confusing and irrelevant and oppressive. But when you understand the story, you start to see its beauty. You see, the first three chapters can be summarized as Paul taking us through three seasons of human history. And they are known as creation, decreation, and recreation. Creation, decreation, and recreation. Paul begins and talks about that we're all made in Christ, that Genesis 1 and 2 show this beautiful pattern of how creation has been created. That relationally, relationships of love and commitment and joy and peace, that we're in relationship with God just as we are in relationship with one another. Genesis 1 and 2 is written to display the goodness, which is why God keeps saying, this is good, the goodness of the created design, the created order. The problem is that only lasts a couple of chapters because in chapter three, we rebel against God and his created order and decide that we wanna be in charge and not him. And so we take the wheel And you know, when any five-year-old takes the wheel of a car, bad things are about to happen. And that's the story of the Bible. The Bible, we call it decreation. That actually we move away from the created design and decreation sets in. Decreation of anger, jealousy, comparison, competitiveness, greed. You see these escalating in Genesis 3 through 12 and disunity, and then you start to see murders and wars, and suddenly the Old Testament is full of this barbaric civilizations, and you realize we are far from creation. We are in radical decreation, and we sense that today, right? We, we come to that moment, we look across our city, and we go, we are experiencing decreation. We are in this pain and distortion of how God created humanity to be. Summarized in this great phrase in Judges, the book of Judges, when everything is chaotic and there's this refrain of a phrase keeps going through the book of Judges, which is this, all this pain in the world is because, quote, everyone was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Which is, pretty much the summary of today's culture as well. We do what is right in our own eyes and we see the results of decreation all around us. The great news is, of course, is God himself sees decreation. And Paul says in chapter two particularly, God in his mercy sees decreation 
and is so loving and so committed to us, he does something about it. And he, the story of Jesus is God doing something about it, seeing he's coming in the flesh and the cross and resurrection is ultimately God saying, I'm going to reverse decreation and recreate what's been lost. On the cross, he defeats the root of the issue, sin and Satan, that we can then see the fruits of recreation where there's been decreation. The whole point of Jesus is we have tried to halt decreation, but we can't in our own efforts. And until you see that we can't get out of decreation by ourselves, you won't see the need of Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, let me stop this process of decreation. Let me defeat the root cause, which is human sin and Satan's dark forces and your own forces within you. Let me defeat them that you can actually now see recreation where there's been decreation. That's why on Easter morning, I love that passage in John chapter 20, where Mary's at the tomb and she's weeping and the resurrected Jesus appears, but she, mis- remember, she doesn't see it's Jesus. She mistakes him for something else or someone else. She mistakes him as a gardener. As John is saying, look, wink, wink, Jesus is like back in Genesis 1 and 2. He's regardening the earth back to what it was supposed to be. The great divine gardener has come to bring recreation. Where there's been hurt to bring joy. Where there's been sickness to bring healing. Where there's been disunity to bring forgiveness. And the whole story of the Bible after the resurrection is Jesus through the book of Acts and elsewhere recreating humanity putting us back together again, healing us on the inside that we can then live into the healing of as life as it was meant to be lived. We are now children of God, part of God's family, that we now live into what he's rescued us for, to rescue us into this is what life was meant to be like. This is what relationships can be. This is what community can be like. This is what living for others can be like. All the things that we kind of hashtag but can't do, now in Jesus we've got a shot at being able to do. Paul's ethical instructions, therefore, are inviting us into a new adventure of living as God intended us to live. Not to spoil our fun, not to limit our joy, but to say, now Jesus has won the victory. We have now finally the opportunity to live into life and life in all its fullness. Let me read again then, in this, in this context, in this light, let me read again kind of Paul's instructions to us, his invitations to live the life that Jesus bought for us, Jesus rescued us for, life as he created it to be, a life of recreation. He says this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient and bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity, not division. Speak truthfully, not lies to one another. In your anger, don't seek revenge, don't sin, but seek justice. When someone's been stealing, hey, stop stealing and use your hands to actually produce things to bless others. 
Stop tearing people down with your words, but actually see your words. You were created to use your words to bring life to others. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger with every form of malice. Actually, no, because you're there to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Do you see the invitation from Paul? He's going, this is what's happened to you. You've been now rescued, sin and Satan. The power and curse of that has been broken. And therefore, we now can live into kind of Genesis 1 and 2, but on steroids for all of the world. This is how life was meant to be lived. This is the point of why Jesus came, to actually undo decreation and replace it with recreation. Where we once said, oh, that sounds great, but this is impossible. Now, because of Jesus, we can say it's now possible to live as we were meant to be lived, to live in the true design of human flourishing, where we can actually live into purpose and meaning and significance and fruitfulness and life and life in the full. Paul summarizes this ethic, this invitation in chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. He's summarizing the whole three chapters, first three chapters of what Jesus has done for us by saying, now you are dearly loved children. You've been born again. You've been adopted into God's family. He is now your father. You're no longer cursed by sin and Satan, although those enemies kind of refuse to stay down, they're defeated. Now, because of who you are, live into who you are. Live into the life that God has always wanted humanity to experience. Live in. Live in to what he says is love. The ethic of Christ is love. And it's, as I said last week, it's not the LA kind of love. It's the Jesus kind of love. Very different types of love. One is self-serving and uses people for pleasure. The other is agape love, or I've been told this week it's agape. <laughs> agape love, which is Jesus' kind of love, which is I exist to bring love to you no matter what the cost to me. I don't expect anything back in my giving of myself to you. He said, this is how God wired creation to bring fruitfulness, to bring joy, to bring fulfillment, to bring community. And sin and Satan have got in the way. But now Jesus has really defeated that on the cross and resurrection. You are now filled with the Spirit. So let's go do it. This is the ethic of God. This is the invitation of God. Paul goes on and says, look, live this out in your own thought life. Oh my word, you don't have to be full of rage and bitterness anymore. You can be full of kindness. Live it out in your relationships with your kids and your spouse. You don't have to be competing with your spouse and taking from your spouse. He says, look, husbands, you can now love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Imagine your marriage when that's the ethic. Colleagues, business, just being a neighbor. Imagine the society at large that benefits from the people of God going, oh my word, we're going to live the ethic. We're going to live this adventure of now what it's like to be human. Healed by God. And we are witnesses, we're ambassadors, and we are agents of his recreation in society. 
impacting our city is less about alpha and serving in a soup kitchen, although they're amazing and I'm a big alcoholic. But more about living out wherever you are the kingdom of God through your actions towards those around you. That changes cities. I remember when I was in business for about 12 years, I loved Jesus. And I thought the last thing I want to do is be stuck as a pastor with lots of Christians. The irony. (laughs) What I want to do is take the life of God and let people experience it in the workplace. I felt a pastor to the workplace. And it wasn't through just running Alpha during lunches, which I did. It wasn't just through arranging a carol service so once a year my firm could hear the gospel, which I did. It wasn't that I just said, hey, you should come to church with me, which I did. All of these wonderful things. But the main center of it is I'm going to recreate the environment around me by living into the ethic of Jesus where people go, what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing that you live differently? I'm going to provoke them with the ethic of heaven. Well, I'm going to speak well of people, not tear people down. I'm going to serve as opposed to lift myself up. I'm going to be generous as opposed to taking. I'm going to speak well of people as opposed to gossiping. I'm going to forgive as opposed to taking revenge. Now, You know me, I'm radically broken, and so I stumble and fall at every step. But I prayed, Lord, let there just be a little aroma of you in everything I'm trying to do. Because I'm living into now the ethic of heaven as we were meant to experience. I remember my, none of my colleagues were Christians, and it was awesome. I love them dearly. And, but they used to tease me all the time. Tease me all the time for being kind of, this kind of God squad or Bible basher or Jesus freak, whatever you want to call it. And I would never do that to people. I would just live my life in the way of love as a dearly loved child of God. And I'd try and go, great, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to actually be honest. I'm actually going to use whatever influence I have to serve. I was in marketing when I really lent into this significantly. And I was like, how can I actually serve people well? I remember... One time, my boss got very upset with me because it looked very bad on the team that I wasn't lying. Have you ever felt that in work? And I'm not saying it was, you've got to you know, lie blatantly. It was just, just kind of be economical with the truth, Gare. And he's just like, dude, I said, you know I can't do that. I'm not going to be an idiot about this, but... No, and I, said, and I actually went to a conference room with my boss and said, look, let me just be very honest with you. You can try, but it won't work because I value honesty. And I believe if you know I'm honest when it really hurts, you'll trust me to be honest behind your back. You'll trust me to be honest when it doesn't hurt. And it's very funny, they really responded well. I know sometimes people have told stories about it not responding well. I heard someone recently who lost their job. So there is a cost to living out this uh, way of love. There's a relational cost, there's sometimes a vocational cost. 
but in my experience, there's often times of great joy by my friends showing that they respected me by making fun of me. I remember coming back to my office one day, and there on my desk was this kind of Jesus action figure. Because <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you're the Jesus freak in the room. And again, I was, it wasn't saying anything. I was just trying to live like Jesus, be loving in all things and serving in all things. I remember you know, Jesus' arms could come up and down like this, right? And so his arm, one day I came in and my buddies uh, had bought this beach ball, like a globe, like the globe of the world, and put the beach ball into the arms of Jesus. And they would say, oh, he's got the whole world in his hands, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet, what was interesting was over time, what impacted them the most was not, hey, you should come to Alpha, all this kind of, and I never preached at my friends. What impacted them was, you seem to have a different way of living, which actually is bearing more fruit in your life than mine. In fact, this authoritative self, making up right and wrong as I go along and doing whatever feels right, it wasn't working out for my friends as it never will. And so often they would come to me in the difficulties and troubles of life and they'd say, yeah, and they'd come to me, what should I do? How do you cope with this? And what was interesting is the three biggest ways to really make an impact was through my decision to take the three biggest things in life and live into them as Jesus wants me to live into them, the ethic of heaven, and that was money, sex, and power. If I didn't live into Jesus in those three ways, they thought I was a bit of a hypocrite. But if I did live into them in those ways, then actually it rang true for them, oh, this is truly different. And they would experience the fruit of it. What you did with power, what you do with money, and what you do with your body. Is I was going, Jesus is in the business of recreation and putting good and love even behind these three things. What an adventure, what a joy to be the people of God bringing the love of God through how we live in society. Now, I know, of course, that I'm listening to this and I've still got these big objections in my head because of how much I've been worn down by how maybe the ethics of Jesus have been taught before. But it helps me to look at this now and go, well, actually what, actually is, what is happening here is Paul is saying is dearly loved children walk in the way of love. In other words, picture yourself in the family of God and your father is going, look, this is how we roll as a family. Recreation, we can now do this in the world. And picture yourself, as I do, objecting to that and see how it fits. I grew up in a house of siblings and often I was very lazy and often, say, my dad or mum would come in and say, hey, yeah, get in the kitchen and help do the washing up. Like, this is how we roll, the ethics of, my, of our family. Now imagine if I said to my parents, you know what, mum or dad, I'm not into this legalism. <laughs> I'm just not into this legalism. I'm a child, I'm your child, not through my performance. You love me just the way I am. It's like, 
Yes, ex except this one thing. Yeah, performance doesn't get you into the family. But let me let me be clear. Um, what Jesus has done for you is that you can then go about doing the good works He's created you to do. The whole point is to live out in the world the new ethic of heaven, kingdom come, right? All that kind of stuff. So yeah, get in the kitchen and help with the washing up. <laughs> but Dad, you know, but Dad, you know what? I just find you're a bit of a downer. It's a spoil sport, man. All these do's and don'ts. I'm really enjoying myself here. It's like, okay. But don't you realize that actually your definition of fun isn't necessarily what's going to contribute to human flourishing for you and for others around you? Fun is never a good master. And people who only rule by the ethic of fun, there's a word for them in culture and in the Bible. Children. You know? Candy! It's like, yeah, you're now going to be sick for a week. Right? Fun is never a good ethic. Now, I believe joy is found in the ethics of God. And we get in that kitchen, help your sisters wash up, and actually you'll realize community and fun happens there, not eating candy on the sofa. But dad, but dad, okay, fine, but dad, you know what? But, but I don't understand why I need to, because I've been forgiven past, present, and future. And if I don't do this, it doesn't really matter, because you're going to forgive me, right? Then I'm cleansed. Gee, I basically... If anybody ever looks at me, when I go to heaven, they're going to see Jesus' righteousness, not my own performance. So it doesn't matter what I do. Again, it's absurd, isn't it? I think my parents would say, yes, this isn't about forgiveness. This is about you're a child of God on mission in the world. The whole point of rescuing you, bringing you into the family, is that we have a family business that you're now part of. It's called the mission to go and love and bring the light of God to the world. This isn't about whether you can get away with it. You're misunderstanding the whole point. But, okay, fine, but this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good. Dude, just like fun, your feelings are not a good master. You're a mixed bag of feelings. Your feelings can be this or that the next day. So don't trust your feelings. Trust what Jesus is saying is going to contribute to human flourishing. Get in the kitchen and help do the washing up. Or, and I think this is a big one, I don't see the harm in staying here. Don't see the harm. My, my sisters are happy. They don't need me. I don't see the harm. And surely we, really the ethic of God is just do no harm. That's certainly the ethic of culture. And I think what's interesting is Paul, in his summary of this is the way of Jesus for recreation in the world, does not base his ethic on harm. I know society does. As long as it's not hurting anybody, it's okay. Jesus has a much deeper foundation of ethics. First of all, a deeper understanding of what harm is. We often determine harm whether in the moment is it harmful. Whereas if we zoom out and go, well, actually, is it harmful not just for you, but for the person you're with and society at large? And zoom forward. It's like, maybe you don't feel the harm now, but if we keep doing this, you individually and collectively as a society, it will result in harm. And then, frankly, who defines what harm is? 
Uh, aren't we seeing this right now with uh, the e ecological challenges that we're facing? Behavior we just thought, there's no harm. We didn't realize in our own wisdom that it can escalate into harm. I remember discovering for the first time that you know, $1.99 t-shirts from certain companies aren't just an unmerited, you know, just unrestricted good in the world. That fast fashion is actually harmful. That behind it is a story. And so our definition of harm is so micro from God's perspective. Sometimes he says, you see no harm, but let me tell you, on a macro scale, on a societal scale, this is harmful. But also the ethic of Jesus is not just harm. The ethic of Jesus is also based on purpose. Paul says, remember, don't tear people down with your mouth, but actually instead build people up with your mouth. See, the ethic of Jesus is not about omission, just, don't, just avoid doing stuff to tear people down. The ethic of Jesus is we were created to build each other up, to actually serve others to actually encourage others. This is where we are. This is why the old confession of the church is forgive us for things we have done and things we have ought to have done and not done. And also the ethic of Jesus is not just based on a bigger view of harm, a bigger view of purpose, but also love. Walk in the way of love. The ethic of Jesus is what is loving for the person in front of me now? That's why all the youth group ridiculous conversations grew up with how far can I go how much do I have to tithe is tithing gross or net <laughs> but what if you know but in the old testament their tithing was also kind of helping sustain medical for the church so if medical is not now provided elsewhere if I pay medical bills to uh, insurance now my tithe is less right it should be about eight percent have you ever been in those conversations it's like, you've missed the whole point. The ethic is not how far do I go and get away with stuff. The ethic is purpose and love. What is the purpose of money? What is the purpose of sex? What is the purpose of power? It's actually, oh my word, this is what it's for. That purpose of money is that I am blessed to be a blessing. And so the question isn't how much do I have to give away? The question is, oh Jesus, what do you want me to do with my money that I may bless others? The question isn't, how far, do I, how far can I go? The question is, how do I love my girlfriend? How do I love my boyfriend and build them up and not take from them? The question is, oh my, what, what do I do with my time? You know, I've got to serve on a team, I guess. And like, no, how do I use my time to bless others and to build up the body of Christ? It's purpose and love. Paul is inviting us away from a theology of do's and don'ts and saying, do you understand the great adventure now that is possible in Jesus Christ? That because of what he's done for us on the cross, because of the resurrection being victory over the curses that weigh us down, that we can now live the recreated life not just for your sake, not just for your family's sake, not just for your wife's sake or husband's sake, but for the sake of the whole world. You are now going to be living and modeling and, and sharing with others. This is how God created us to live. This is the invitation. 
At the very end, the question I have, but oh my word, how do I do this? Paul says, look, put off the old self then and put on the new self. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Now, at first that just seems try really hard. But again, in the context of everything Paul is writing, he's saying you'll never white knuckle this. He says you need to actually in chapter three and then chapter four and chapter five, he says this process of going, I'm transformed on the inside by Jesus. I'm being healed of the wounds in my life by his love. And therefore out of that I'm choosing oh my word, I'm not going to live like that anymore. And so I find in my life, wherever I'm still living in a way that is not how God created me to live, I go, why am I still doing that? That's not who I am. That doesn't have to have power over me. And I go back and say, Jesus, show me the wound in my life that has yet to be healed, that I can live into who you call me to be. Why can't I forgive this person? Why am I seeking revenge on this person? Why can't I say no? Why am I using people? That's not the human flourishing for me or for others you created for me. That's not why Jesus died for me. And so to go away this week, if things are coming even now to your mind, and say, Jesus, show me why and fill that wound with your love. Heal that wound. That I may then live this glorious adventure of recreation, not just for me, but for the sake of those around me. This is the great invitation. That Jesus died, Jesus rose again, that we may live the glorious adventure of life recreated. Let's stand together. I love you just to close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you that this is, this is why you came. To heal humanity to bring us back into how you created us. Thank you for dealing with the roots of decreation. And now fill us that we may live the recreated life. Loving one another, serving one another. Just right now, there may be areas of your life where you go, you know, I have not done that. And it's an opportunity to say to your heavenly father, I'm sorry, I've used people. I've misused your gifts. I have contributed to harm, not only for myself and for others. And that's the beauty of confession when you're in the family. It's not about whether you're now hokey pokey, you're in the family, out the family. You're in the family. And it says when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just as a loving dad to forgive you and cleanse you so that then we can join him in living into the life that he has for us. So Jesus, I just pray you'll just restore that people feel cleansed of areas where they go, man, that, that's not who I am. 
free us. I just felt a little word drop into my mind. I think it may be from the Holy Spirit of uh, being chained, like addicted and chained. Father, I pray that you would heal us and free us from addictions that are not what you have for us. If that is you, then we'd love to pray for you or pray this week that God would break those chains free. It could be that you go to a recovery course that we have here or elsewhere to start to put on the new self and take off the old. God's got a life far better for you than addiction. So Jesus, as we worship you now, we lay down our life to you. We offer our bodies. We offer our finances. We offer our lives, our time to be used in the life and adventure of recreation. In Christ's name, amen. Our prayer team will be down here now. I'd love to invite our prayer team up and then uh, we'll worship and enjoy his presence. Let's worship.